0: Father God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for the word that you are about to give us. I pray you would write it on our hearts that we may carry it with us wherever we go. Be with us this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. what did you feel listening to Dan's beautiful music? I mean, you could feel the, the yearning, the longing. You, you could feel the, the passion. You could feel the lament. Music has a way of doing that for us. There are things that that. That music can do in our hearts and our minds that words alone are unable to do. Music touches our emotions. Music touches our experiences. Music touches those those deep places in us. When you think about, if you if you ever stop in the middle of a movie and just think about the music that's being played as the scene is unfolding. Turn off the sound. And frightening scenes become far less frightening. And joyous scenes become far less joyous. There is something about the music that speaks deeply to us. And it engages us in a way that words alone simply cannot do. Many of you here would, uh, you know, are... Or, or, um, at least of my generation, and when you hear these two notes, I suspect it will evoke a memory for you. Dum-dum-dum-dum. That's all it took, right? Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. And all you can see are sharks, right? I mean, that's all you can see. There is this, there, this, no words have to say anything, just the notes. And, and these, this tune that, uh, to this, this carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, was actually, uh, goes back at probably as far as the 9th, 12th century. And, and it, it was first discovered as a part of the funeral mass. That, that it was played at the, after one of the readings at a funeral mass. And you can understand why. It's a lament. And it seems to me to fit these words so powerfully. This yearning, this passion, this desire that the author is calling us to sing. Oh, come Oh come, Day Spring. Oh come, O oh, come, oh come. There is this this yearning, this begging, this, this passionate desire for God to come and to do something. And through the centuries, God's people have been declaring these words, O oh, come, oh come, O oh, come. And now God's people continue to declare those words. It might well be the very last prayer in Revelation. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come. It is the coming of Christ into the world, but it's also the coming of Christ into our lives. It is the coming of Christ into the places of pain and lament and yearning and struggle and temptation. It is, it is the desire, the passion of God to come to us. And, and the problem is, what we typically want is for God to take us out of the problem. We want escape. And God says, I've got something better than escape. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. It's not a coincidence that the song is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. God with us. This word that begins in Isaiah chapter 7 that, quite frankly, scholars debate exactly who they're talking about, but ultimately, it is a word that the church and God's people recognize connected to the Messiah. It is the word that, Matthew, that the angel says, speaks to Matthew when he tells him, talks to him about Mary's pregnancy and he says, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Come with us. Part of our struggle with this is that we, we want to rush right to Christmas. I mean, I do. It'd be okay with me if you had Thanksgiving and then a week later you had Christmas, right? Let's just do this thing. Let's just get into it, right? And the stores certainly want that. I mean, they start, I mean, advertising, you see Christmas decorations in October, maybe September. And they, everybody wants to run to Christmas, Which is why I think the Church Fathers said, we need some time to prepare. We need some time to step back, to evaluate, to be honest with ourselves, because there is something symbolic in rushing to Christmas that says, let's just rush over the problems that we have. Let's just rush over the truth about our our struggles. Let's just rush over all of these things, and, and let's just get right to the celebration. But the truth is, and you know this is true, the more you prepare for a celebration, the more glorious it is. I mean, once you start putting up a tree and putting presents under the tree, if you have little children, they're like, when's Christmas? When's Christmas? When's Christmas? And on Christmas morning, they're about to pop, you're right? And maybe you are too. Maybe that's who you, what you do as well. It wouldn't be near the joy, near the excitement, near the energy if he didn't have to wait. But waiting's hard. We're impatient people. Advent's not an easy time. Because it's a call to be honest about our lives. It's a call to take, to be truthful about our struggles and to lament them. And to call on God to do something about them. I've been listening to a whole number of different kinds of recordings of this carol throughout this week, and it is fascinating to me how people interpret it. One of them particularly caught my attention. It's by a contemporary artist, Matt, Matt Marr, and I'm gonna, we're going to play just the first 30 seconds or so of, of his version of this carol. Do you hear what he's what's happening in the background? I mean, he's got this acoustic guitar. It's it's pretty laid back. But in the background, there is this thump, 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 Now, I don't know the intent of that, but when I heard it, it made me feel the tension of waiting. This carol, is singing it, you know, meditatively, slow, and in the background, there is this, Thump, 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 dump, thump. And what it made me think about is, is tamping, t- tapping my foot. And not because I'm following the rhythm, because it really doesn't follow the rhythm. But I do that when I'm impatient. Maybe you do something like that too. You tap your foot, come on, let's go, we're going to be late. Come on, let's hurry up. Let's get this thing going. Let's get started. And, and the fidgeting that we do when we're waiting... The pacing that we do when we're waiting. All of these things are telling us and reminding us of the tension of Advent. That we want Jesus to come, but we want him to come now. We want him to come in our time, in our way, and we really rather not wait. Let's come now. And God keeps saying, wait. Wait. There's so much value in waiting, as, much as hard as it is. Because in waiting, we learn to trust. If you never had to wait, you'd never learn to trust. And there is nothing more significant to our relationship with God than trusting him. And Advent is a call to believe that he is trustworthy. Which I think is what this song is saying to us. The, the refrain to this carol was not in the original Latin text. It was added in the probably the ni- early 19th century. I think it was a good choice. Because I think it tells us of the spirit and the attitude of our waiting. It, even though our waiting is a lament and a, and, a, and a yearning, it is still in a spirit of joy. We are called to rejoice, rejoice. Why? Because Emmanuel has come? No, because we believe he's coming. It's future tense. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you. And that's the word of the prophets. That's the word of the church. Jesus has come, yes, but Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming into our lives every single day. And every day we wait. And we rejoice. We rejoice because of the one who's made the promise to come. That's what makes all the difference. We rejoice because it's God who has promised That's why Israel, even in their lament and their yearning through the years, could still say, we trust. Century goes by, we still trust. Another century, we still trust. Another century, we still trust. Why? Because Yahweh is the one making the promise. And we keep trusting because Jesus is making the promise. When I was thinking about this this yearning, this passion, I was thinking back to when I was probably about 10 years old, and I was playing Little League. I played Little League in, in Evansville, Indiana, and uh, you know, a pretty good sized city, 150,000. And our Little League park was located in a bigger park. And uh, you had to drive through the park to get to the ball field. And the ball field was basically at the end of a road. And it was very secluded, it was all surrounded by trees it was very picturesque, but it was also pretty secluded. And I can distinctly remember one time having a practice uh, that ended maybe 8, 30, as, as it was starting to get dark, and everyone's parents were coming to pick them up, and my parents were late. And I'm sitting there waiting and waiting, and darkness is settling in this secluded place. And I'm 10 years old, and I'm wondering what's going on. And I was, I could, you know, I probably didn't know it at the time, but the whole time I'm thinking, come, mom and dad, come. Come now. And I could feel the anxiety and the worry rising. But here's the thing. I knew they would come. They may have gotten tied up and they were a few minutes late. But I knew they'd come. Because I knew they loved me. I knew I was important to them. And they had always kept their word with me. If it was the neighbor who was coming to get me, I might not have been so confident. I'd have the same relationship with them. i didn't have the same longevity of trust with them. And when we sing, oh come, oh come, and we're singing rejoice, it's because of the one making the promise to us. It's the one the prophets declare. Malachi says, I'm sending my messenger. It's really what we've been talking about in the minor prophets all through this fall. The nature and the character of God who loves his people, cares for his people, and despite all of the sin and rejection of his people, never gives up on us. And to say, oh, come, is to ask the great loving, compassionate, Lord of the universe, to be with us. There are people in the world who, when they think of God coming into a situation, don't see that as positive. They have negative views of God. They think God coming into a situation is a killjoy. God now is demanding and and narrow and strict, and and it's going to totally disrupt and ruin our lives, but that's just because they don't know who God is. Maybe that's because their image of God has been shaped by who we are. It's fascinating to me that this is a, this is a song, much like, again, the Old Testament, that is directed toward Israel. When you read the prophets, most of, most of the, the promises and the proclamations and the prophecies are about Israel, God coming to Israel. Israel. But that's never the end of it. We saw this again and again in the prophets. God comes to Israel. God comes to his people to redeem them, to set them free so that his people can be agents of setting the world free. It goes back to the promise to Abraham. God says to him, Abraham, you follow me, I will bless you, and through you, I will bless all the nations of the world. And that means that when we sing this last verse, O come, desire of nations bind, our spirits in one heart and mind, bid envy, strife, and discord cease, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. When we sing that, when we pray that, when we ask God to do that, what we are really saying is, God, Let me be a part of you doing that. Do something in me. Give me wisdom. Give me hope. Give me light. Make me the kind of person who so rejoices in the thought of your coming and and that I exude this joy to everybody else who needs to experience it. But that's going to mean That how we live is affected by what we sing. And when we say, bid envy, strife, discord cease, what we're really saying is, Lord, help me to live what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Help me to really believe that blessed are those who recognize how poor in spirit they are. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are willing to be persecuted for the name of God. Blessed are those who are willing to give up their rights, to always be right, in order to have relationship with people who need to know the one who is always right. Come. Come. Not just come and rescue us, not just come and give us a way of escape, but come and change us, make us new. This song is is really connected to much of Zechariah's prophecy that we read earlier. In Zechariah's prophecy, he speaks of the day spring, of the day spring to come. He speaks of, of the light that's coming to the nations and, of course, Light has is, is always been representative of God. And that's what God's coming does. It brings light into darkness. Isaiah says that in chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Zechariah talks about the light. John talks about the light when he describes Jesus in the first chapter of his gospel. It's about God bringing hope. And light into our world of despair and darkness and pain and struggle. And it starts with us. But when you take a mindset of rejoicing, that act of faith to rejoice even when it's not complete, even when life is hard and we struggle, when we take that mindset, there's something about that that opens up our hearts to God and allows Him to not just... We just say the words, but we become joyful people. And we exude that joy. Because what we really want is for God to come and to live in us and to make us like him. Now you might be asking yourself this morning, it seems kind of odd, why are we doing talking about this Christmas carol and others over the next couple of weeks? It seems like an odd thing to shape a sermon around. About 30 years ago, I, uh, I heard a sermon by Charles Allen. Some of you might be familiar with him. He was a one-time pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. At that time, one of, if not the largest, United Methodist Church in the world. I love to hear him preach. He's uh, from the deep south. He has a, a southern a drawl to his preaching. But he is an awesome communicator. And I I was listening to this sermon that he preached. And in the middle of the sermon, he said, one Sunday morning, he said, uh, he was talking about about the prayer of our deepest desires. And he said, one Sunday morning, I was sitting in church in the congregation, we were singing. And he said, I just started laughing. He said, I got so tickled, I could not stop laughing. And he said, I don't normally do that. He said, I'm the soul of decorum when, when I'm leading worship. And of course, this was the 1970s. And, and he said, you know, the people have been at this church 18 years, and my people are looking at me thinking, what's wrong with him? Is he having a nervous breakdown, or what's going on up there? He said, I could not stop laughing. And he said, we were singing one of the most beautiful prayers of our hymn book. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. It's a glorious hymn. I suspect that many of you, if you've had experiences in the church, have sung that hymn numerous times. And he said, we're singing this song, and the congregation, I'm watching the congregation sing this song at the top of their voices, and we get to that fourth verse, and it says, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And he said, I looked out, I was looking out at the people there, and I thought to myself, you know what, I've been trying to take their silver and gold for years, and they don't want to give it. And he said, all of a sudden, that moment, I had this vision of God looking down at our congregation and saying, you know what? I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to do for you what you're asking me to do. I'm going to take your silver and gold. And he said, I couldn't stop laughing, thinking about it. And then he turned to the audience whom he was preaching, and he said, it makes me think that maybe sometimes we ought to preach some sermons about the great hymns of our faith. And maybe you call it something like, let us live what we sing. Because sometimes we sing and we don't even pay any attention to what we're singing. And so 30 years later, that's what we're doing. And here's the thing about this song when we sing it. I think it's an act of faith to sing this song. I think it's an act of deep faith to say, God, I'm not asking you to rescue us in a sense of escape. We're asking you to come and be with us. We're asking you to come and to change us. We're asking you to make us your people that in Christ you have called us to be. And we know we can pray that prayer and sing that song in faith because of this table. Because we know who God is. And we know what God has done. And we know what God has promised to do. In this table is the visible sign of the nature of our God who wants to come to us as a group, as individuals and rescue us, ransom us, set us free, give us life and make us his people who look like Jesus. Father, we want to thank you for your grace and your power to us. Thank you for the promises that you give us. Open our hearts for you to come in all of your glory and greatness. To come with your healing power upon us. To come and transform us that we might be agents of your grace in this needy world. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.